Hello, friends, and welcome to the Optimized Advisor Podcast, where we focus on optimizing the well-being and best practices of insurance and financial professionals today. On this show, our objective is to help you optimize your life, optimize your profession, and learn from other optimized advisors. I'm your host, Scott Heinela. We hope you enjoy the show. So, Larry, welcome to the to the Optimized Advisor podcast. It is a true pleasure. Uh, thank you once again to Cheryl. I find myself repeating that statement quite many times uh, in connecting us to very profound and prolific individuals in our industry. You certainly fit the topic of what we would identify as an optimized advisor. And so having some time to just learn a little bit about you, your history, uh, and how you make a difference in people's lives is very much appreciated. I look forward to having this conversation today. Yeah, thanks, Scott. I, I appreciate it and uh, look forward to a very engaging and hopefully a lot of takeaways for your uh, listeners. So let's showcase a little bit about Larry, do you the proper introduction. You are a CFP, a husband, a father of two boys, entrepreneur and mental health advocate. In 2004, you founded the Midland Financial Inc. firm, naming the firm in memory of Larry's wife, uh, Mitchell, and your mother, Linda. Uh, Midland. I was wondering at first what that was, but oh, it, it's you. actually the MIT is my wife's grandfather, Mitchell, and uh, the LIN is my mom, Linda. Okay, got it. Okay, Larry's your wife's grandfather, Mitchell, and mother, Linda. Right. Duly noted. During your career, Larry's found that a lot of industry terms and concepts can seem confusing to outsiders. Uh, nothing could be more true. That's why you work with the families that you serve to break down complex financial topics into easy to understand concept concepts. You're the author of Amazon best-selling book, Financial Planning Made Personal, and also host of the Midland Money Mindset, a podcast that reminds you to ask yourself, what did you do today that brought you joy? Such a simple but easily uh, or not easily answered question. In recognition of Larry's significant contributions to his profession, you've received quite a few awards. In 2021, you were named to the Investopedia 100 Top Advisors uh, and even more humbled to make their top 10 list in 2022. Outside the office, you're one of the greatest passions, one of your greatest passions, excuse me, is raising awareness for mental health. You spent over 12 years serving on the national board of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention and sit on its financial and investment committees. With your wife, Denise, you've raised more than $1.7 million for the organization through the Keith Milano Memorial Fund. The fund was created in memory of your brother-in-law. Larry values his family tremendously and his desire to do right by his wife and two, son, two sons who drive who you are and in and out of the office. That is a lot to, to unpack there. <laughs> all true, all true. And you know, in our initial conversation, you and I both, I, I've expressed to you that I have two boys as well. Uh, you're a little bit further along in your journey. So I have a lot to learn from somebody like you as it relates to raising two boys. Yeah. I mean, uh, listen, thank God I, I don't have, you know, I can't give you any advice with regard to girls. So that I can't help you with. But uh, as far as boys go, you know, I have a 17 and a 20 year old and it's been a, a great journey thus far. And I'm looking forward to uh, what's to come. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I would love to circle back to that and I definitely will, but let's start at the beginning. I'd love to, in our initial conversation, a very, very brief conversation, I will tell you in short order, 
I will tell you, you were one of those individuals that I connected to in that I feel as though there's a lot of similar values in how you operate both your profession and personal life and some overlaps in just the structure, if you will, of the lives that we do have. And I'd love to, to dive into that a little bit more. So in 2004, you founded your firm, Midland Financial. What, how did that process begin? Yeah. So, I mean, really it, it all started probably about, uh, you know, when I entered the profession back in uh, 1996, I I've always been an entrepreneurial in nature since I was a, a kid and always had the desire and dream to have my own practice, my own business, whatever that was when I was a kid. And uh, as I left uh, college, you know, it looked like it was going to be in this profession. So about two years prior to launching the firm, I made a decision after being in the profession for about, you know, six or seven years that, um, you know, I, I needed to make a change and I needed to do it my way because a lot of the firms that I was working for, you know, they all talked about doing the right thing and helping families. And, and, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of talk and not a lot of action. And that's really what drove me to do and break away and, and form my own firm because, I was always somebody that always wanted to do things in the family's best interest and didn't really focus on revenue. It was like, if I'm going to do the right thing, we're going to do the right thing and things will things will manifest. So prior to, you know, two years prior to launching the firm, I started formulating that game plan and, and getting my ducks in a row and putting things in place, uh, you know, with the uh, idea that I would go um, live with uh, Mitlin in uh, 2004, which I did. So can you share, enlighten with the group, maybe one or two things that you immediately began doing or things that were just looming in the back of your mind of like, these are pieces in my business development plan and, and the way that I'm going to interact and the services I'll offer my client that I'm not doing now, but I certainly need to be doing. Yeah, I, I think, you know, uh, for, for a lot of folks, it was, you know, where I was and what I was being taught was, you know, planning drives everything. But what was actually happening was completely different. It was it was planning should be talked about, but there really wasn't planning going on. It was a lot of product sales. It was, you know, placing mutual funds and annuities. And, and you know, when when I talked to those people that I was under, my managers, uh, you know, the, the questions were always, how was your revenue last month? How much revenue did you do this week? And I'm like, you know, to me, that wasn't, those weren't the important questions to ask. The important questions to ask are, you know, how many new families are you serving? How did you impact those families? These are the questions that we ask here and now, and we actually do the planning. You know, I'm still a huge believer and now implement in a way like I didn't do before, the planning component. I, I think everything should be driven from a financial plan and just about everybody needs or requires a financial plan to help drive all the other decisions, including the investments. And I also had, I think, the foresight of seeing that you know, investments were becoming more and more commoditized. And the where we add the most value is really in that planning, not what mutual fund or ETF or stock we pick, but in that planning. So those were the things that I was hearing that really weren't in alignment with who I inherently was and how I wanted to uh, conduct myself in this profession, which is really dr what drove me down the path of, you know, going independent, if you will, in 2004. 
Okay, so let me ask you, in 2004, when in the beginning stages of the firm, I presume you had some pre-existing clients, and certainly that's part of it. What was your major marketing strategy in the beginning to get to where you are today? And has that evolved? And if it has, to what? What are we looking at today from a marketing strategy platform? Yeah, I mean, things have completely changed because, yeah, I mean, if you think about it, 2004, we were on the precipice of the internet, you know, it was, it was there. You weren't doing this. Yeah, no, definitely. We're not doing this. Uh, (laughs) You know, you didn't have the Facebooks of the world, the Twitters, the Instagrams, all those tools. So really, you know, when I first started, I did have those initial families that we brought over from, uh, you know, my my previous firm that that did follow us. And that was a good start. And then it was really, you know, working with those families, getting to know them on a deeper level and working with them and then also getting involved in my community, you know, being involved in networking groups where I was going to be side by side, shoulder to shoulder with other business people and and getting to know them and build relationships. And, you know, I I will tell you this one thing that, you know, gets bantered around a lot is I never asked for the sale, right? I never asked them. I never asked anybody to become a client. My whole thing and still is today that I want to get to know, like, and trust people. And I want them to ask me if, you know, what it takes to do business. Cause I, I think that's a much different and puts you in a much different light. So that's how things were, how they are now is completely different. I do, uh, very little, if not a fraction of the networking that I do, because we're staying in touch through other platforms, social media, commenting, posting. So a lot of the stuff that we're doing today really falls into three buckets. And some of it's the same and some of it's different. So some of the same is, you know, working with the families we serve and looking for uh, referral opportunities where we can get introduced to friends, family, and business associates. That's the same. Two is working with COIs, uh, clients, and you know those relationships that we have with CPAs, attorneys, and other trusted professionals. That's remained the same. I think the things that have changed are the next two, which is you know really utilizing social media, putting ourselves out there in a vulnerable state. Uh, and much of the stuff that we put out in in social world, if you will, is, is not financially related, meaning it's not, you know, the nuts and the bolts of finance, because quite frankly, that's boring to most people. It's more right. personalized, more personal in nature. And the whole idea behind that is to get people to know, like, and trust me to get them to a point where they feel comfortable calling us and they already know us. You know, it eliminates probably four or five meetings that start when we started in 2004, we used to have to do to get them to know, like, and trust us. Um, and then the, uh, the last piece is, you know, inbound traffic and inbound, uh, leads, if you will, uh, for lack of a better term, but we put out a lot of content, a lot of deliverables, downloadable tools, et cetera, that people download and either, uh, ask us to contact them or wanting more information. And that's, uh, you know, another way that we're getting connected with people from a marketing perspective. So, you know, I would say those last two weren't around in 2004. So those are new. The first two are definitely things that we've been doing from the very beginning. And now we've added on as uh, the times have changed. So I also want to ask you about the financial planning made personal. When did you when did you mint the book? 
Uh, so it went, when you say mint, what do you mean by that? Well, uh, when, when was it finalized? Oh, so it, it went uh, live on April 18th, right after tax day. Uh, it was launched to the public. Uh, it's something that I had been, you know, popping around in terms of wanting to write a book for probably about 10 years. Um, but to your point and the whole point of your show, you know, my family always came first. So I, having the two boys that we mentioned earlier, they were both hockey players from a very early age, like four and six respectively. So many times we were at the rink. Uh, my wife and I were separate at the rinks, at different rinks on different days with them in the evening. And then on weekends, my wife and I, a lot of times were in different states, uh, definitely different counties. So there wasn't a whole lot of time to really be able to put that pen to paper. And that's fine. And in recent years now with the ki kids, the way uh, their ages are now, my older guy has been in college for a year and a half. And my younger guy uh, moved away at the age of 15 to go to boarding school to continue uh, his hockey career and his passion. So my wife and I found ourselves uh, instant empty nesters a little earlier than expected, more time on our hands. So that that gave me the opportunity to uh, you know start uh, working on and releasing the book uh, earlier this year. That's fantastic. And what what kind of feedback have you received from that? I mean, and and do you have any specific strategies in how you deploy the book, or it's just there? I mean. What, what what has driven its success, if you will? Yeah, I mean, I think the success from the book, uh, we've I, I think we've uh, achieved Amazon bestseller status in seven different categories to date. Uh, it's been selling very well, a lot of great reviews, and they're continuing to come in, even though it's only now about, uh, you know, a month and a half since the book's been released. That's amazing. Uh, but yeah, the feedback has been phenomenal. And I think that it all boils down to the simplicity of the book. As you mentioned in my bio, one thing I try to steer away from is, you know, using industry or profession jargon, because I think that a lot of that jargon has been created to create this, you know, uh, this vision that we're smarter because we use these terms than everybody else. And mm -hmm. I don't think that's the case. You know, I, I don't need to use words that people don't understand to feel smarter. We, we get, we get what they need and we can do what they need, uh, through their planning. I want them to understand at whatever level they're at. You know, we talk to families all the time. We want to meet you where you're at. We'll, you know, guess or kind of guide you with an explanation. But if you need more detail, ask us. You need less detail, uh, tell us. You know, we want you to feel comfortable with the decision. And I think that a lot of that comfortability comes from knowing. So we, we have a lot of that non-industry jargon in there. We break it down to very easily digestible concepts. And I think that the other thing that we do in the book is, uh, you know, a lot of folks in our profession talk about, you know, planning in terms of everybody should be doing this. Everybody should be doing that. And the reality is it, nothing works for everybody. Planning mm -hmm. is very personal. And what works for one person may not work for another family. And they can't, you know, go into their local Facebook moms or dads or whoever group listen to advice and guidance and expect that to necessarily work for them be, without knowing what all the background is. So we try to, you know, hammer that point home that it's a very personal process. Yeah. I really appreciate that. You know, 
I'm a very individualistic person. What what that means is uh, I I definitely respect and appreciate everybody as individuals. And I guess just in my nature, I really like to get to know you as a person. What makes you tick? How is your watch built? You're doing a lot of that with your clients. Um, and, and, And conversely, what you're not doing is everybody gets this matrix and everybody's going to fit into these holes and matrix and onto the next, uh, that that's not seemingly the process that you go about. It's respecting that every family and every client that you deal with is a unique individual, a unique set of circumstances and household environment. And we're going to custom tailor your financial plan to meet your specific needs. Not that we've got this matrix of boxes and we just plug it all in and go on to the next one. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's no value to that. If they want that, they could probably just go to a robo advisor or use some kind of online planning tool, uh, which will get them, you know, someplace, but may not be the place they want because it's not going to go to a level of detail. And, uh, you know, uh, it's not it's also just not about the numbers either. And I think that's something that uh, gets overlooked a lot of times in our profession where, you know, it's all about, well, how much do I need for retirement? Well, OK, you might need a certain amount, but it's not just about that. It's about what the money can do for you and your family. You know, what kind of joy can you and your family get from that money? And also, you know, if you are thinking about retirement and slowing down or stopping working, there's a whole other component to things that you have to think about in addition to the money. And that's the mental and social impact of retiring and slowing down. Are you ready for it? Oh, you know, what are you going to do with these extra 40, 50, 60 hours a week? Are you prepared to fill that in with meaningful stuff that you're going to, you know, sit up at the end of the week and say, Hey, you know, I had a good week this week and I wasn't sitting in front of the TV for 40 or 50 hours. So there's a, there's a whole, you know, big component to the whole planning process that I think gets overlooked a lot of times. That's exactly the case. I appreciate that insight. All right. I want to chat with you a little bit about the, the podcast. What prompted you to, to develop the podcast? How is that going? And uh, I guess the why and what is the purpose of the podcast for you and your clients? Yeah. So, I mean, the, 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 the my why for the podcast was really just, I, I enjoy conversation. I enjoy speaking with people. I like learning about people, you know, similar to what you said in terms of, you know, what makes them tick. I like hearing about people's journeys, their stories, and what brought them to where they are today, how they built a business, what that business is about. A lot of times I walk away, I'm like, I can't believe this is a business, but you know, it's a, it's amazing. Right. So, yeah. So I just enjoy having those conversations and it's really afforded me selfishly an opportunity to have conversations with people that, you know, in without a podcast wouldn't ordinarily reach out or have a conversation with me. I mean, we've talked to, you know, owners of NHL teams, NFL players, uh, you know, some of the top athletes in the world, some of the top entrepreneurs in the world. And I wouldn't have had that opportunity. So that, that's my why, you know, it's in terms of value and what we're looking to deliver to the audience, whether they're other advisors, whether they're uh, families that are potentially looking to work with us or families that do work with us, uh, is really just to show them that uh, a little bit about who we are 
you know, give them more insight to what our beliefs are, what our values are, and and showcase some of the people that uh, we feel have interesting stories. And one thing that I get asked quite often from advisors, because, you know, many of them are driven by, you know, the financial end of things, obviously, is, you know, what's the return? What's the ROI? What's the return on investment? Right. And my answer to them is, you know, we, we have we, we really don't even bother quantifying it. Um, and that might not be a great answer for somebody in our profession to say that. But I think I have a valid reason. And the reason is, even if the return on investment was zero, which it's not, but if it was zero, I would still continue it because I get a great deal of joy out of having these conversations and sharing them with uh, everybody else. So, uh, you know, even if the return on investment was zero, I'd still continue the podcast because I really enjoy having those couple hours a month uh, face to face and having these uh, conversations with people, you know, some of them are friends that I would have outside of here. And now we're just, you know, really recording it for others to listen in and others. I would never have the opportunity walking down the street to have those conversations. So it really gives me an opportunity. Like I said, I get a great deal of joy out of it. So uh, I'll continue. Yeah, those are great points. And I think definitely it's like, you know, one of those, I forget which credit card commercial, but they show a series of items that can specifically and easily be quantified in terms of dollar value. And then they transition into an image or a scene that, you know, it's priceless, right? Yeah. And part of delivering your message and, and having a, if you want to break it down to a product, if you're calling a podcast that, it's certainly more than that. But, but at its basic level, what it is, uh, is a medium for you to communicate to the community at large as you scale your firm as well, I imagine it's probably not as easy for you to communicate on an active and regular basis with all of the households and clients that you represent. So there's that medium that you're able to do. And like you said, the priceless category is, is it something you really enjoy doing? And if the answer is yes, then why wouldn't you? Yeah. You also have a, you have an immediate library of knowledge too, Scott, right? So if you're talking to a family about a specific topic or a specific type of business, or, you know, we talk a lot about, we have a lot of mental health related episodes on there. If there's something that comes out of a client conversation, for instance, I was talking with a family the other day and they were talking about, you know, wanting to change residency from New York state to Florida because they want to save the New York state uh, tax. Mm -hmm. So we had one of the top New York state, uh, tax experts on our show and talked about that very topic. Now in that moment, when I put it out, they may have not heard it, may not have seen it or listened to it. But in that moment, having that library of folks that I could go to and say to them, Oh, Hey, I, you know what, this is something you're thinking about. You should listen to this show where I had this tax expert, Karen Tenenbaum on, and you should listen to it. And maybe it would even make sense for you to connect with her to make sure that if you're going to do this, it makes sense for you and you're going to be doing it in the right way, which if I didn't have the podcast, I wouldn't be able to share that with them and have that knowledge transfer as a result. That's a, you care about educating your clients? <laughs> Very much so. I mean, I think I think anybody who's better educated makes for a better family that we could work with. The more educated they are, the better the better the relationship, the more solid it is. They they understand and see value in what you bring to the table and understand that, you know, you're not just in it for 
you know, the revenue or the assets. It, it goes beyond that if you can uh, show that. 100%. Okay, I want to transition to this. And, and I, I apologize for the poor graphics, but um, I wanted to unpack this with you and try and get a little bit in your mind of what your values are. I already have an idea of pretty much what your core value is. I'll let you confirm or deny that. But, but this happens to be mine that you might be able to see here. So it's a strategic triangle of sorts. And in its core, at its core, is family. Mm-hmm. Everything that I do and how I want to operate is centered around my family, my wife, and two children. I think you're similar to that. But the other three values are the ways that I want to live my life. And I find that there's a direct correlation to how I personally want to live my life and how I want my business and professional environment, our business, to act and feel like. And and rooted in that is health, integrity, and experiences. Mm -hmm. Do you have something similar like this that you've found as a way for you to kind of shape uh, how it is that you go about your life? And do you find that there's a real correlation between your personal values and interests with how your your business operates and feels and the culture of your practice? Yeah, I I think there's a direct correlation, right? I, I think they're directly aligned. I, like you... Family is at that uh, at that central point. You know, a lot of the decisions that I've made over the years have been family driven. As an example, uh, my orig- originally my office was about 30, 35 minutes on a good day from the house. On a bad day, it could be an hour. And uh, I basically, it, it's when my son was my twenty year old was starting to enter school, I circled a 10 mile radius around my house and moved my office to seven miles, a 12 minute drive at most from the house. So everything revolves around that family. We have a set of core values uh, at Mitlin that quite frankly resonate well beyond just being for the business. And it's really for personally too. And, you know, a couple of those, one one of the things that really align with the family piece is one of the core values is client equals family equals team. You know, client, our clients are part of our family. Our stakeholders are part of our family. Our families are part of that family. So, and, and that's really at the top you know, responsiveness and proactive communication, you know, is another fiduciary mindset, do the right thing. You know, these are all things that um, can be applicable, not only to my personal life, but are also very applicable to the business life. And I think they're interchangeable, especially when you have a practice, you know, that's five, six folks locally, um, because as the leader of the practice, you 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 are the values to some degree, and quite frankly, we've all uh, added to these values. We've all incorporated it every week as an organization. We have somebody uh, relay the values, and we also uh, have somebody pick one of the values and demonstrate something that happened in the previous week that is representative of a value. So we're always keeping those values at our forefront, and I think they're interchangeable, business and personal. That, that very, very good insight, and I appreciate that. This is a journey that I've been on more lately, I would say, with advisors who I think just find themselves, not all, but in many cases, just going at 110 miles an hour, right? And and they get to this point in their career where they're certainly at a level of sustainability and significance, and it. They, they, many of them haven't taken the time yet 
to step off the hamster wheel for a moment, take a breath, figure it, figure out what does my client relationships look like? Are, are the relationships in the households that I'm serving in alignment with who I am? And what do I want my practice, my enterprise to look like as I go forward the next five to 10 years? Um, and, and, and it's, to me, it's core to, okay, first of all, you have to identify what your core values are and how are your values interwoven into your practice? What is it that you see your ultimate vision, where you want to go, um, and, how, and, and, then, and then roadmap how you're going to get there? To add to that, it's like we're so busy setting goals and tasks and goals and tasks, but a lot of times we find ourselves, the goals that we're setting and the tasks that we're doing aren't in direct alignment with where it is we ultimately are saying we want to be. I, I agree. And I think that, you know, to, to your point, I think it's probably, you know, to, to advisors that are earlier on in their career, I think you don't want to wait till you get to that point that you're mentioning where you have a sustainable practice, this, that, and the other thing. Cause a lot of times you end up with this monstrosity that you've built that it, it, it's almost more difficult to unwind it and, and bring it back to those core values than if you just did it from the beginning. And one of the things that I've done from the very beginning is, you know, really instilled those values. We didn't formalize them in a written format till probably, I don't know, five years ago or so, uh, and really put pen to paper, but they were always in my head. And as the leader, we were a smaller team then, that was fine then. But my point is, I, I think you find those values as early as possible and you don't deviate from them. Do not take on relationships that, uh, you know, are not in line with those core values because they're just gonna be problematic, not only to you, but to your team and, and to them probably, quite frankly. So, yeah. you know, that that's one thing. If you look at a lot of the families we work with, they're very similar in nature and in values to who I am because most of them I've touched from the very beginning and they align with that. They like that. Um, you know, they like the fact that I'm out with my family. It's not a surprise to them if they ask to meet me in an evening at an evening meeting. And I say, listen, I can't do that day. I, I have a, a pre-existing uh, appointment or I have something to do with the family for a sporting event or something. It's not a surprise to them because they know that from the very beginning. And I think that going back to one of the original questions, that's where social media comes into play because they already know. We've had people reach out to us to say, hey, you know, I love your values. I love that you're a family guy. I'd, I'd like to work with you just simply because of that. So what a refreshing place to be, right? And have that that real opportunity. Yeah. I mean, what an idea and concept to be able to interact and and support people who share very similar values and like minds. That's fantastic. So, okay. Um, kudos to you and Denise for your efforts with your, I would say, pro bono and nonprofit efforts uh, really in, in helping raise awareness for mental health. So can we talk a little bit about your involvement there, what that looks like? uh today and just share some insights as it relates to mental health in this country today yeah i, I think me mental health is paramount and you know after losing my brother-in-law keith as you mentioned in the opening we we lost him uh, about four weeks before i launched my firm in september of 2004 and you know we we hesitated or i hesitated for a moment i should say about even launching in october and you know, my wife Denise said, you gotta go forward with it. This is what Keith would have wanted. 
But I will tell you this, 19 years later, uh, mental health is being talked about more uh, than it was back then, by all means. And, you know, one of the things that was problematic for my brother-in-law is he always felt like nobody knew uh, what he was going through. Nobody knew how he felt. And I, I think he how would close be- How were you with him? Uh, we were, we were close. I mean, he, yeah. we were, he was at my house consistently, you know, all the time, either with my wife or my, my young son at the time. Um, so we, we were extremely close and, yeah. uh, we were shoulder to shoulder with him when he was, while he was going through a lot of the, uh, troubles he, you know, he had, uh, you know, suffering from bipolar disorder. So, you know, it, it was, it was, it was a concern and, and I didn't realize how important mental health was. I had never been touched by somebody who died by suicide. And, you know, I didn't realize, I guess, to some degree that, you know, bipolar disorder could effectively end in death. And, you know, that really set us on a path to really start formulating and talking a lot about mental health. And, you know, now I'm at a place where I think, you know, there are really three pillars going back to your values that we we all have to really focus on. And they're extremely intertwined. And that is, you know, financial health, physical health and mental health. Because the reality is if you're suffering in any one of those areas, if you're suffering financially, your mental health and your physical health will probably be suffering too. Vice Amen. versa, you could have a lot of money, but if you have poor mental or physical health, that financial piece may not be uh, as strong as you would like. So they're directly tied and we talk about that a lot. And really his passing got us involved in, in mental health uh, very proactively in terms of wanting to raise awareness, wanting to keep the conversation going. And along the way, we've had some fantastic people, uh, you know, initially through the company that my brother-in-law works for. We had a golf outing for about 10 years uh, before the golf outing ended. Uh, and still to today, the month of May, we have a group of authors, uh, my book included this year, where they donate a portion or all of their proceeds from a certain book sale uh, to my brother-in-law's memorial fund. So with all those great folks and, and all that help, we've been able to you know, raise that significant $1.7 million plus, deploy it to programs and activities that are helpful. Uh, local community and nationally. Um, and, you know, as you also mentioned, you know, it led me, I sat on the national board for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention for about 12 plus years. I had a roll off due to term limits, uh, which I helped implement when I started working with them. There weren't term limits uh, oh, wow. and there should have and needed to be. So I was a victim of my own policy, but that's fine. You know, there's some fresh blood in there, new ideas, and I'm still very involved in their investment committee and with their finance uh, committee. So uh, I still stay involved till today. And probably the most rewarding thing that I haven't talked about is we've become like de facto mental health advocates or contacts if somebody is going through something problematic or having a struggle themselves or a family member. People have a tendency to reach out to us and we've been able to help them navigate it sometimes a little bit better than if they didn't reach out to us. And the, the most amazing thing is we know for a fact that we've saved lives along the way by getting people directed to the right areas. Um, the only the only uh, caveat I would like to put out there is I'm not a medical practitioner, so I'm mm. not a doctor. I don't know anything about the med medical end 
the medicine end, but I do know where, especially locally, some of those resources that can be helpful to people. If you've been able to save just one life, then it's all worth it. 100%. I'll give up the $1.7 million today uh, for that life, hands down. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, Let me ask you a question. With financial planning made personal, does it, do you speak at all to that, essentially that trifecta of balancing financial, mental, and physical health? Does it, does it have sections in the book on that? Yeah. So we have a whole chapter uh, dedicated to the mental and social aspects of retirement uh, in particular, because I think that very often gets overlooked. And, you know, going back to being very personal, I think the media leads people to believe that people are working longer because they have to financially. And, uh, you know, listen, there are certainly people out there that have to work because they need the income and they have to work into their 60s, 70s, and even 80s. I'm I'm not minimizing that. But I think there are also a a great deal of folks who are working well into their 60s, 70s, and 80s and beyond maybe uh, because they want to and they don't know what to do with all that free time. They don't they don't they didn't take the time because they were working 40 50 60 70 hours a week they didn't take the time to build relationships build the social structures to allow them to have relationships outside of the work where they could have and be doing meaningful things whether it be charitable related uh, or or otherwise just golf you know things like that so we talk a lot about people trying to think about slowing down and you know, 10 to 15 years, start putting some of those, uh, you know, areas in place. You know, if you like golf, you know, join a golf club, start meeting other people, start Mm. getting involved in outside activities to keep, you know, keep you busy and mentally, you know, motivated during those times. And, you know, the other thing is to, I do talk about this in the book also, I'm not really a believer in this whole idea about retirement. I, I think the whole idea that you work like 30, 40 years, and then all of a sudden, you know, slam on the brakes and stop. I, I think it's ridiculous, you know, and then you get to enjoy life. Uh, I believe, yeah. and I think you agree with me, Scott, you know, we should be enjoying life all along the way. We should have work-life harmony, I don't agree with work-life balance because I feel that that gives the impression that you're giving up something to get something. We should be able to intertwine our work with our families and harmoniously be able to enjoy it all along the way and not have to wait for this, you know, dedicated date sometime in the future that, you know, many of us may not make, which is, you know, and you may not make it there. And, uh, you know, as, as, uh, you know, my mom made it to the age of 47 and that was it. So, she would never have reached that retirement date. I really, really do appreciate that description and in, in finding work-life harmony. I'll share a little story with you. A good, good friend of mine who's a hard charger. He's very successful. Um, you cannot take that away from him. He has, you know, wife, two kids, and travels the world. And so he does li- live a very full life. Let me put it that way. But he was telling me about a story of a new hire uh, that had come in younger gentleman and they got to talking and he was talking about how you know he he really wanted to uh, maintain this work-life balance of working at home and working in the office and all this stuff and it just set my buddy right through the roof like no we don't have work-life balance you're here to work you know this kind of mindset to your point i think if he was to differently articulate uh about using the word harmony and how you work to live, 
I don't just live to work, if you will. Right. Um, and finding that finding that harmony, it, I think that says it very, very well. Yeah, I mean, I think to your friend's point, that whole work-life balance, when you talk about work-life balance, that to me implies that you want to work less so you could be at home more. And maybe right. it's not that. Maybe, maybe I want to work the same, but instead of starting at 9 a.m., I could work from 7 to, to 8.30, then take the kids to school, drop them off, and then work from 9 to whatever. I'll, I'll still work the same hours. I just want to be able to do those things that I enjoy doing in addition and get everything done and, and do it, you know, in harmony. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And with technology in the way we interact in today's world, as long as I'm disciplined, I'm dedicated to my, to my tasks, my responsibilities, my personal interests, we, we can work in that context. Yes. I, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. I mean, there are some exceptions to that rule, but that's, you know, that's life, right? You're going to always have that. That's exactly right. Well, hey, look, I really, really appreciate your time. This was this was very, very insightful. It was great to get to know you a little bit more. Um, in closing, I would ask you: in the twenty or so years that that your practice has been uh, thriving in in growth mode, any particular life lesson learned or or you know challenge that you've overcome that you could share with the audience uh, or insights for those mm -hmm. that are listening. Yeah, I think the biggest, you know, one of the biggest changes that I've had in the last like three to five years, and, uh, you know, I've said this before openly, um, is, and I give credit to my wife, is, you know, about four or five years ago, uh, I really embraced and, you know, through her encouragement, really being vulnerable and putting stuff out there on social media. I was kind of against it um, in terms of, I was like, people don't want to know I'm doing this. People don't want to know I'm there, but the reality is they do. And it's really helpful to the practice. And, you know, if you're going to put it out there, don't put out, you know, every day a video or a blog on, you know, Roth IRAs and how you can accumulate X number of dollars. That's not really what people resonate with. They really resonate with that personal stuff. And, you know, really people getting to know you and understand you has been a life changer for me because it's really, you know, put us on this huge growth curve as a result. And, you know, I give her a lot of credit and uh, I give myself a little credit too for, uh, you know, doing it and being vulnerable. But that has been a, you know, a huge changer not only to our life, but also the, you know, the business as well on both sides. Do you think that some of it was also in, the apprehension in the beginning wasn't just discounting the fact that people don't want to hear this, but was, was there a level of, or what percentage was you also just, you know, I, I don't want to, I mean, being honest, right? Like, I don't want to take the time to do this. Uh, yeah, it wasn't the time factor. I, I really thought that people didn't want to hear it. And I, I, you know, I'll share this. The thing that really changed it for me was uh, my family and I, this is obviously pre-COVID, went on a trip to South Africa. And every day I would post a video of wherever we were in South Africa, whatever we were visiting that day. And we were there for like 10 or 11 days. So every day I had at least one video or something going up. And I had a, a, I got a number of comments, a lot of times from the same people. And I had one, one family in particular reached out to me when I got back from the trip. And she said to me, and she suffers from CPO, COPD. So she has a hard time getting out of the house. She has an oxygen tank. And she said to me, Larry, you know, 
I really appreciate you putting that stuff up on uh, Facebook with regard to your trip. She goes, I watched every day. I commented every day. She goes, it was a place that I always wanted to go to, but because of my health these days, I know I'm never going to get there. But because of what you did, I feel like I had the opportunity to experience South Africa. And that to me really solidified that this is where we got to be and this is where we got to go. And we really doubled down on it since then. And it's, it's, it's been interesting. So it wasn't really the time factor. You know, if you think it's a time factor, I will tell you point blank. It's not, it's, it's very, very easy and not time consuming if you, uh, you know, do it in the proper way. Just do it, take it to heart and be honest about it. hundred percent. Yeah. Well, that's a great place to finish. Again, sincerely appreciate your time, Larry. It was great to talk with you a little bit today. Thank you for joining and participating in the Optimize Advisor podcast. Till next time. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Please subscribe, like, share, leave a comment or review. Be sure to check us out on social media at Optimized Advisor Podcast. Till next time. <laughs>